Good morning. I said to my wife this morning, I was reminded of the psalm, that said, I was glad when they said unto me, we're going to the house of the Lord. It's always a blessing to be with you. I've been waiting uh, for a long time to uh, kind of share a word with you this morning. And um, just before we do, let's, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get right into the word. Father, we thank you that you have given us this day to rejoice in you, to give you the praise, to give you the thanks, and just to be in wonder of your majesty and your splendor, and the very fact that you have called us this morning to be here together by your grace, all of us from different walks of life, different backgrounds, and yet we have one common denominator, your grace. You as our Savior. And we give you the praise and we give you the glory for blessing your word this morning. Amen. What is prayer? Some people say it's talking with God, while others say it's God speaking to us. These are both correct in a sense, but is, it, is that all what prayer is? Prayer is universal. Prayer is not limited to Christianity. Christians are not the only ones who pray. The Buddhists use prayer wheels, and Hindus pray to gain ultimate union with uh, Brahman, with the chief god, to escape the cycle of reincarnation. We know that Muslims pray. They tell that to us time and time again that they pray, and and to some extent, all people pray when things get a little tough. You know the old saying, there's no atheist in the foxhole. Some have argued for the mysticism of prayer. That is, that it's a mystery as to how it actually works. And I would say, you know, to some degree that is true, because it's just like the Trinity. We don't know all the ins and outs and all the rounds and everything about the Trinity, but we do know that he is a triune being. We know prayer is for us to do, but we don't know all the ins and outs. We don't understand how God is sovereign and does this, and yet he calls us to pray, and and that he uses our will in there somehow. And to some degree, we pray, but we don't pray in full knowledge, but we, we don't truly know all the ins and outs of prayer any more than we totally comprehend the Trinitarian nature of God. We know we're supposed to pray, that is, that it's the lifeline of the believer, but the question still echoes back, what is prayer? Well, if you're like me, prayer has been a hit and miss thing, kind of like a roller coaster ride. Lots of highs and lows. There are times as though we got prayer down, and other times we don't have the slightest notion of what we're doing. Sometimes it's a duty turned into delight. Prayer doesn't happen for most of us because we don't understand what prayer is. Prayer becomes a production and a problem. Life seems to cycle through your, your to-do list, anxieties, distractions, and irritants. And God is there sometimes, somewhere. And we lift our voices to him. So my whole aim this morning is to help us to begin to understand what prayer is. 
They make it less a production and a problem. And of course, you and I have to agree that one message isn't going to solve this whole thing. And just because I'm preaching on prayer doesn't make me a, a, uh, an expert on prayer, but at least it will give us tools to help our prayer lives to deepen. And if I can do that this morning, if I can accomplish that this morning, God bless you. J.I. Packer said, I believe that prayer is the measure of the man spiritually in a way that nothing else is. So that how we pray is as important a question as how we can ever, as we can ever face. So to help us understand the question what prayer is, we'll look at Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. If you just bear with me just for a second as we read it again. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you has a friend? will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give anything because he is a friend, yet because of his imprudence or persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more where the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who asked him. Well, the first point is obvious, isn't it? Prayer should be a common experience. Prayer should be a common experience. Prayer is central to Scripture. God and the believer, uh, when you look, work your way through the Old and New Testament, you see how common prayer is for the people of God. In Genesis 4.26, we see the first occurrence of prayer when Moses recorded that when Enos was born, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. In chapter 18 of Genesis, you see Abraham pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah not to be destroyed because Lot, his nephew, was there. And of course, Moses reminds the nation of Israel of the blessing of prayer because God answers them when they do pray. So they must have been praying. There must have been a common experience. We have Job praying for his friends in Job 42, verse 8. And in the New Testament, we see the church revolving around prayer in the book of Acts. Alistair Begg said that the, that the church was birthed in prayer. I won't argue with Alistair Begg. Acts 1 says, All these were one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In Acts 2, you see that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread 
end of prayers. And of course, prayer in Jesus' life was common. This was probably what prompted the desire to be taught how to pray. And if you look in Luke's Gospel, there are many occurrences of this, but we see his example. Uh, Jesus was praying in Luke 9, verse 18, before Peter called Jesus to Christ, when they were out and witnessing, and they came back, and he asked that question, who do you say that the Son of Man is? Well, before they long came back, he was praying for them as they were going out there two by two. And in Luke 9, 28 through 29, he was praying, and then he was transfigured, and Peter lost his head, and they, they thought that he had to build three, three tabernacles. And then in Luke 10, verse 21, you see Jesus praying at the return of the 70. Tim Keller says, The Bible is all about God, and that is why the practice of prayer is so pervasive throughout its pages. He also makes this remark, to fail to pray then is not to break some religious rule, it's the failure to treat God as God. Because God gave us the gifts of prayer. God has called us to pray, and prayer should be a common experience in our lives. Well, if prayer is a common experience, then it should be a consistent practice as well. The disciples were the ones who asked to be taught about prayer. Now, why would they do that? Why would they ask to be taught? What did they see? What made them ask that question? What prompted them? Well, I believe that they saw a consistency in Jesus' life. Prayer to be effective must be common and consistent. It must be consistent in our lives. Daniel was a man who prayed three times a day. David says in Psalm 55, But I call to God, and the Lord will save me evening and morning. And at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. In Luke 18, verse 1, Jesus said, Men always ought to pray and not faint. So prayer has to be a consistent, persistent thing in our life. It has to be common, but it also has to be consistent. And we all know that sometimes we, we run short of that. We, it seems like we're on this roller coaster up and down. Paul exhorts the church to pray without ceasing. And in this very passage, Jesus is calling for a consistent persistence. If you see this, let's look in verse 10 of Luke 11. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend who will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. In those days, not to have anything for your guests was an insult. And he will and he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. In verse 8, Jesus says further, He says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. 
And I tell you, ask it, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. We have been called by Christ to have a consistent, persistent prayer life. Even though it seems as though we're not getting anywhere, we are continuing to pray. We are continuing to knock. We are continuing to ask. We are continuing to seek. George Mueller hits it on the head when he asks about his prayer life. When asked about how much time he spent in prayer, George Mueller replied, was hours every day. But I live in the spirit of prayer. I pray as I walk and when I lie down and when I arise, and the answers are always coming. See, prayer doesn't mean that you're always on your knees. To pray without ceasing doesn't mean that you're constantly on your knees 24 hours. It means that everywhere you are, you are in that spirit of prayer, that no matter what happens, you are able to pray. Because it's there. Just like when you inhale a breath. It has to be that consistent. There is no power like that of prevailing prayer. Of Abraham pleading for Sodom. Jacob wrestling in the stillness of the night. Sometimes we have to wrestle. Sometimes we have to persevere. Sometimes we have to say, I will not let go until you bless me. Moses standing in the breach, saying, Lord, if you're going to condemn these people, take my name out. Hannah, who was day, year after year looking for a child, wanting a child, and having the other wives mock her because she could not conceive, she did not give up. She persisted. She continued to knock. She continued to ask. She continued to seek. And of course, we know the end of that. We know that Samuel was born. David was heartbroken with remorse and grief. Jesus in sweated blood. And add to this list from the records of the church your personal observation and experience. And always there is the cost of passing under blood. Such prayer prevails. It turns ordinary mortals into men of power. It brings power. It brings fire. It brings rain. It brings life. It brings God. When we are persistent and when we have a consistent prayer life. You know what your kids are like when they want something. Mommy, can I have this? Daddy, can I have this? They're pretty persistent. When next we see prayer connects us to our Father. Jesus points us to whom we pray. Our Father who is in heaven. Now if we're to truly appreciate prayer, we must see the Lord as he truly is. Not what we want him to be. Not what we make him out to be. But as to who he truly is. First we have a Father who is unlike any other. We must address ourselves to him as our father and must call him so because he is a common father to all creation. Not everyone is a child of God in that, but he is the father of all creation. He is a special manner of father to the saints. Why did we pray this morning before 
I came up is because we beseech the Father, because we have a, 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 a sonship with Him. We are adopted and regenerated, and we have this unspeakable privilege, and we eye Him as our prayer. We take our prayers and our concerns to Him because He is our Father. Not like the Father you, you have in life. I'm a dad myself, and I know how imperfect I am, but I always point to the perfect one. We're not talking about comparison. We're talking about someone who is far greater than what we could ever imagine. We must eye him in prayer, keep up good thoughts of him, and because we will be encouraged, not alarmed. When we go to our Father, we are encouraged in prayer. We won't be alarmed. Nothing more is pleasing to God than to call God our Father. Remember, he is the one who told us to do so. It's to call him Father. This phrase is not a petition, our Father, but a, a statement of fact. Our Father, who is God, is transcendent. He is above all others. No one can compare to him. Matthew Henry beautifully puts it in perspective for us. He says, as our Father in heaven, so in heaven as to everywhere else, for the heavens cannot contain him. Yet so in heaven as those to manifest his glory, for it is his throne. And it is to believers a throne of grace. And to this point, we must direct our prayers. In Hebrews, it tells us to go before the throne of grace. To the Father. For Christ the mediator is now in heaven. Hebrews 8.1 says. Heaven is out of sight. And a world of spirit. Therefore our conversation with God in prayer. Must be spiritual. It is on high. Therefore in prayer we must be raised above. The world and lift our hearts. We must get our eyes off of here. And place them where they need to be. We are now seated in heavenly places. With Christ Jesus. Heaven is a place of perfect purity. And we must therefore lift up pure hands. And must study to sanctify his name. Who is the Holy One. And dwells in that holy place. From heaven God beholds the children of men. And we must in prayer see his eye upon us. He calls us to call him Father, because his eye is upon us. Therefore, he has a full and clear view of all our wants and burdens and desires and all our infirmities. He's looking, he can see the whole picture, because he's looking from a very different perspective than what we are. And when we look to him, we gain his perspective, and things begin to change. But I think probably what the most what the most sweet thing about the Father is his willingness to be personal. What father among you, if your son asks for a fish, will instead of a, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If me, being an evil person, knows how to give good things unto my son... And you, knowing how to give good things unto your children. How much more would the Heavenly Father give us, even the Holy Spirit, which is, oh, we're in such great need of Him, aren't we? 
We need the Spirit. We need Him. You see, you and I are not a number to Him. We are His children. We are His blood-bought people. And He is not willing that we go without. I know some folks don't like this song, but this is an old Pentecostal song. Jesus is on the main lane now. Call Him up. Tell Him what you want. It's true. You see, prayer is a moment of incarnation. God with us, ready to bless us. Ready to commune. And and much more than that, it is revealing something that you possess. A relationship with Him. The living God who is your Father. He has a relationship with you. And when Jesus prayed, he was not performing a duty. He was calling upon his Father. And when we pray, please, let us remember, it's not a duty. It's a privilege. It's something that's been given to us. Prayer brings us to blessings which we need and which can only God give and which prayer alone can convey to us. This service of prayer is not a mere rite, a ceremony through which we go, a sort of performance, Prayer is going to God for something indeed that we need. Prayer is simply asking God to do for us what he has promised to do. You have not because you ask not. He's given us a wonderful opportunity. Asking is man's part. Giving is God's part. The praying belongs to us, but the answer belongs to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. One more essential truth that we must believe is this, that God's ability equals his willingness. God is an omnipotent God. He's almighty. Our Father is almighty. If we recognize that God has the ability, after all, he only did a small thing like creating the heavens and the earth. I mean, as the Smith family said on Friday, our Lord God who created the heavens and the earth. Is there anything too difficult for you? Nothing is too difficult for our God. But if you don't believe that he's willing, our belief will defeat the promises of God in our lives. But if you don't believe me, believe the word. James 1, 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, overflows, gives all that you need. Romans eight thirty two that he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us. How then shall he not give us so freely everything that we need? Psalm 84, verse 11 says, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusts in you. This is the connection we cannot sever ourselves from. The Father is our Father, and you are at the center of your Heavenly Father's attention. You never have to take a number. I hate it when I go to Wegmans. I have to take a number. Or when you... Call my doctor. When I call my doctor, press one for this, press two for that. Hey, I just want to talk to somebody. 
And I don't have to go through that with God. Every time I call them up, there's no busy signal. Hallelujah. I got a direct line. If you remove prayer from the welcoming heart of God, then prayer becomes a legalistic shore. He's there. Come unto me, all of you who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Next, prayer reveals I needed convictions. Prayer reveals I needed conviction. Jesus' teaching to his disciples reveal what we must we must have convictions when it comes to praying and in our lives. We cannot separate the two. When Jesus instructs us to pray, it is also how we should live. These convictions or priorities must line up with his. He reveals five convictions. Obviously, I can't go over everyone in depth. There's a flyover, and I apologize, but I think you'll be able to get the gist of what he means. And he said to them, when he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Now, when's the last time you used the word hallowed? I mean, when you were around the water cooler with your neighbor, did you know that God was hallowed? What does that mean? It means that we are to make his name holy. To make sure as his children, his name is most sacred to us. That's why we cringe when they use the word Jesus and Christ or the other stuff. Because it's sacred to us. It's holy. His name is holy to us. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We can't have our own agenda. Our lives must be centered on his kingdom and his will. What we want is secondary. I got news for you. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and the American dream isn't in his isn't on his radar. That is not what we should be pursuing. We should be pursuing his kingdom and his righteousness and his will. And the only way that we can do that is that when we see his will as ours. It must be advancing his kingdom here on earth and in our hearts. And what we're asking the Lord for here is to fully rule in our hearts so that nothing matters to us other than total devotion to him. Calvin said to pray this way is not to only to submit our wills, but also our emotions. So that when things happen, like the Supreme Court of the United States, we are not so despondent and downhearted that we can't do anything. Because after all, their will is not our will. It's the Father's will. What the world wants isn't what we want. We want what God wants. If we don't have his will, guess what? If we don't seek his kingdom, we'll get so despondent and so depressed over these things in this world, we won't even know what to do. Give us each day our daily bread. And this is something that's really hard for all of us. We must have the conviction to admit our neediness. Our dependence upon him for everything. Even something as common as bread. You know, there was a missionary here one time who visited and Pastor Reed took him around and showed him everything that we have. And he said, no wonder you Americans don't pray. They have everything. It's true. 
You know, if you know the old saying, right? We just we see something we want. We go out, take this out, and this takes the waiting out of wanting, doesn't it? We don't stop, and we say, Lord, should we? Can we depend upon you for this for what we need? We think we can make life on our own, and we'll never take prayer seriously if we think that. If we're so pragmatic and think that, well, you know, God's there in the end, and we can pray when, when we've exhausted all other avenues. Someone said, power in prayer comes from being in touch with your weakness and learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. You ever feel a knife going in on that one? Having the conviction to live the life of repentance. Luther says that in his first of the 50 theses, 95 theses that he nailed to the wall, the first three are all about the, the life of a Christian being a life of repentance. We don't just repent once. We repent every day. We must also be just as convinced more than ever that the only place we can get our sins forgiven is the Father. Graham Goldsworth, he said in his book, by the way, I recommend this, Prayer and the Knowledge of God. Good book. This aspect of we also have forgiven our debtors indirectly speaks of the dimension of repentance and receiving mercy and forgiveness. To show mercy and forgiveness to those who offend us stems from the conviction that nothing that others can do to offend us can compare with our sin against heaven. No one can ever sin against us as greatly as we have offended Christ. We have sinned against him and we sin against him, but anything that anyone does to us can't even come to that level. And lead us not into temptation. Another book I would recommend, Tim Keller's On Prayer. This is Augustine says, The prayer is not that we should be tempted, but what we should be brought or led in, that we should not be brought or led into temptation. Temptation in the sense of being tried and tested is not only inevitable but desirable. The Bible talks of suffering and difficulty as a furnace in which many impurities of the soul are burned off. And we come to a greater self-knowledge, humility, durability, faith, and love. However, to enter into temptation, as Jesus termed it in Matthew 26, is to entertain and consider the prospect of giving in to sin. And this is what he is that Jesus is instructing us to do, that we don't give in to sin, that we don't tempt ourselves, that we don't get so close. And of course, you know this, whole, this old illustration about the guy who, who, who wanted a chauffeur, and as they were interviewing the, 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 uh, the applicants, he said, well, I, we drive down this very high cliff road. How close can you come to the edge without falling off? And one guy says, you know what? We could have the rear tire off on one side and we still make it down. 
The other guy says, well, you know, I can take those turns so quickly, you won't even notice that we're in, in the middle of the air. And the third applicant said, well, sir, I don't know about coming close to it, but I would want to stay as far away as possible so that we could get down safely. Guess who got the job? We need to stay away. Don't ask where the line is. Don't be looking for where the line is, where you can put your toe up to it. You know how it is, right, kids? When your mom says, uh, don't do something, you go, don't do it. And you go, well, how close? How close is it without really disobeying? We can't be that way. we got to stay away from the line. Consider no line at all. Next, we must never forget that prayer is a conversation with the Lord. If the incarnation says anything, it says this. God walked and talked with his creation. Hebrews 1 says that the Lord spoke through different means and prophets and in various ways. Psalm 19 says that the heavens and the earth declare the glory of God. Day after day they utter speech. God begins his whole revelation in Genesis by introducing himself as one who speaks. He spoke into creation. He created by speaking it in. He spoke the world into existence. He conversed with Adam. And yes, in Genesis 11, Moses records the Trinity speaking to themselves about the fate of the world as they were building the Tower of Babel. The Lord is all about having a conversation with his people. He created mankind with an ability that he did not give my cat, which is to talk. Animals cannot talk. Fish cannot talk. And I know as much as you dog lovers love your dogs, dogs can't talk either. But us with the ability for a divine reason to speak to him, to converse with him, to fellowship with him. We must see prayer more than just a dialogue, an opportunity to voice our gripes and complaints. We have a God who is interested in one thing primarily, primarily with his people, a conversation. He began a conversation when he created the world and when he created Adam and Eve. Our Father is not a far-off, distant deity. He is here, near to us, wanting a conversation. After all, all speech implies some sort of relationship, even if you ask somebody what the weather's going to be like. Even if you say, hey, how are you? It's some sort of relationship. might be small at best. Prayer is continuing the conversation that God started in your life. When you got saved, He began a conversation with you. He called you. Why? Because He wants to talk with you. He wants to speak with you. He wants to commune with you. He wants you to know what he's thinking. Oh man, who is, Lord, who is man that you are that mindful of him? 
you are saved because the Lord spoke to you. And through his son, he is interested in carrying on the dialogue he began at that point. John Knox said that through Christ, prayer is an earnest and familiar talking with God. John Calvin said prayer is an intimate conversation and a communion of men with God. Ephesians 2.18 says that through Christ we have access to the Father through the Son. Write this down if you will. Prayer at its core is the audible proof we actually have a relationship with the Lord. If you're not praying, how's your relationship with Him? If you're not conversing with Him, what's wrong? What, why aren't you? Because after all, that's what prayer is, is having a conversation with him. He started a dialogue because he loved you. He started a conversation with you because, believe it or not, he actually wants to talk with you. If that doesn't blow the circus out of your mind, imagine the almighty, omnipotent Father talking with us. Lastly, Prayer is ours because of Christ alone. Prayer is ours because of Christ alone. None of what I have shared today is possible without Christ and his work for us. None of it. Not a lick. We can call God our Father because in Christ we are adopted as sons. Outside of Christ, no woman or man can ever call God their Father. He isn't even listening. He's not even paying attention the way that he does to you. For prayer to be real, our relationship must be real, and that only comes through Christ. No one else. Not Buddha. Not Muhammad. Not anybody else. But Christ and Christ alone. Who can compare Behold our God. Because of Christ, we have a confidence to go before a holy God. The basis of all prayer is the sonship of Christ. Romans 3 says that we have Christ's righteousness. Colossians 3, 4 says we are accepted by God due to Christ. We are justified by Christ and therefore able to stand before the Lord. You can boldly go before the throne because of Christ. So the question here is, do you believe his grace justifies you? Do you believe that you have been adopted as his sons and daughters? Justification by faith is more than just a doctrine. It is a reality that gets you where you need to be with the Father. A conversation with Him. A connection with Him. Being able to have it a common, consistent practice. All because of Christ and Christ alone. His magnificent work in our lives affords us to go boldly where no man dares to go, which is before the throne of God. Knowing that we belong there. Knowing that we're welcome there. Knowing that we can go there whether what time of day it does not matter. Hallelujah. God is good. 
To call God your Father is to stand convinced of your union with Christ who enables you to confidently stand before Him accessing all that He has. All that Christ has, you have. How we view our relationship with justification will reflect our reluctance or eagerness for prayer. If you believe that you're not a son or that you're a little shaky on that, so will your prayer life. But if you're convinced you are his and he is mine, Paul Miller said, prayer mirrors the gospel. In the gospel, the Father takes us as we are because of Jesus and gives his gifts of salvation. In prayer, the Father receives us as we are because of Jesus and gives his gift of help. God looks at the adequacy of his Son and delights in our sloppy, meandering prayers. We don't always get it perfect, but he's there. Tim Chester says, Prayer is the embodiment or outworking of the gospel. We come to the Father through the work of the Son and the power of the Spirit. That statement both summarizes the gospel and describes the practice of prayer. It means we grow as prayers, not by developing advanced techniques, but by learning to appreciate the gospel more and more. The more we understand the gospel, the better we will pray. The more we believe that we are sons of God, the more we will pray. The more we believe the gospel that we preach and that we hold dear to, the more we will talk with him and he with us. been patient. As you can see, the answer to the question, what is prayer, cannot be contained in one word or in one sentence. It's many things making up the whole. But here's what I want to leave you with this morning. Five things in closing, then we will pray. The more you understand about God and who he is, the better you will understand prayer. Secondly, prayer isn't about technique or methodology. It's about believing you have a relationship with the Father through Christ. J.I. Packer says, we're not cabinet makers. We're not, we're not carpenters. We're not learning a skill here. We are developing a relationship with Him. Now, You didn't hear me say this, but just chuck the methodology and the techniques out and concentrate on him. We're not looking for perfection here. We're looking for what we have, which is to simply talk with our Father. Thirdly, prayer isn't about a less busy life, but a less busy heart. By spending time with our Father in prayer, we integrate our lives with his with what he is doing in us. So the more we pray, the more we understand what he's doing in us. Fourthly, like Jesus, we can say as he did in John eleven forty two, I know that you always hear me. Prayer is not an assumption. It's faith in the one who's given us all things. To believe this is to believe the very gospel, and which is the reason why we have any standing before him in the first place.
And lastly, prayer is not trying to persuade God to do something he otherwise would not do. It is our being caught up in the purposes of God and the expression of this privilege as his dear children who know him as his father. So if you know him as your father, you will know what you want to do in life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us the great gift of prayer. Thank you for your word which shows us and unfolds just how wonderful and beautiful prayer is. And my prayer this morning is that my brothers and my sisters were encouraged to pray. Were encouraged to claim you as their father and encouraged to believe the very gospel. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand, please.
bless you all. You are dismissed.